0: Hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in today for episode three. I am so excited to be hosting another episode for Black History Month. Um, Today we are interviewing Mari Cooper. Mari and I met through Zoom um, uh, I think a couple times and she is an amazing painter. She'll actually be in this year's AEO show happening April 1st at Masson Museum in Masson, Ohio and she has a brother who's also a great painter as well. I had a chance to meet Mari and her family a few weeks ago and they're such kind warm-hearted people and you know their house is full of art like there are paintings on every single wall um so it's a very just creative household um, so Mari will be talking with us today about her experience with meningitis. She is currently a student at CCAD and she uses her wisdom, experience, and experimentation to make moving, expressive works of art. Born and raised in Columbus, she loves going to museums as a child and practicing her creativity. However, creating art became essential to her well-being. She became ill due to meningitis. Not only did she experience a chronic migraine for nine months straight, but she lost her vision for six months, was diagnosed with amplified muscular skeletal syndrome, functional neurological disorder, severe photophobia, and photophobia. Additionally, during this time, she experienced a loss of family members, adding another layer of grief. Being able to create helped her to cope with these losses and stay positive. Mari's tells me that it helped helped her create something beautiful during all the pain she was going through. The trauma of chronic illness and chronic pain has greatly influenced Mari's creative process then and now she expresses painting is very therapeutic for me if i feel sick when i'm well enough i create a painting that reflects my emotions she creates art to work through her emotions as well as bring peace to herself and others so before i let Mari talk i'm also going to let you guys know that during this podcast i do clutter and talk fast a lot <laughs> um just one of those days so you know and uh, try to listen well and i hope you guys love the podcast hey guys on the show today i have mari cooper also known as nj that's her artist name um we met through my co-worker uh megan fitz i asked her if i could interview some artists of color who she may know and she mentioned that uh, Mari's marie's an artist that she knew from previous art shows so we met through email and zoom and i'm finally at her house interviewing her today um, also, my microphone is at home. I forgot it, so it might sound a little like muffled, or you might hear a dog barking in the background or other voices. But I apologize. Um, anywho, I will have Mari introduce herself and say a little about her, her hobbies, where she's from, and I guess whatever, whatever whatever else she wants to discuss too.
1: Hello. So I am Mari Cooper, also known as MJ. I am primarily a painter. I love oil painting. I also love gardening. I am also going to plant a tree this year that I'm very excited to do, and I also enjoy watching anime. I really enjoy different entertainment mediums, and some of the anime that I really love watching is One Piece. I love a good time commitment, as I commit a lot of time to my paintings, so...
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really into anime. Like, I have watched before Avatar, The Last mm-hmm. Airbender, but I haven't watched, like, and then I watched this one show on Hulu, I forgot what it's called, but I think it's, like, Attack on Titans. Yes. I used to love that show because yes. it was gory and it was fun to watch and it was just, like, I don't know, just a great show. It's on Hulu, I think. Um, but anyway, Mari, so, um, I know that you go to C A D and that it's your, your sophomore
1: I'm a freshman. Freshman? Oh, it's a first year? It's cool. It is. it is. Are you enjoying it? I am. I really am having a great time just learning new things mm-hmm. and meeting new people and just like having something that I really enjoy and waking up to every
0: day. You live on campus or you live at home? I live at home. Okay. Is that a challenge for you to have this class every day and get in there on time? Or?
1: It's not a challenge because uh, I have like an alarm and... My parents are like, well, you're going, so we're 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 gonna make sure you get there.
0: Yeah, I went to Kent <laughs> State for art for a little yeah. bit, and I was like Kent State. I was living there on mm-hmm. the campus in my dorm, and I feel like not having your parents forces you to like do things on your own. Yes, and, and you like, and you have the choice to like not do it or to do it. But I learned pretty quickly that if I don't go to class, then I get, like, bad grades. Yeah. So I'm just happy that you're your parents are forcing you to go to school and they're making you, like, you know, attend classes to get that A or whatever. Yeah. Because I feel like if you are living on campus, you probably would still go to class. But I feel like it would be a lot harder to, like, get up and, like, yes. force you to go. Especially when it's snowing outside or, exactly. like, cold or bad weather or whatever. Um, so I know that we discussed during our Zoom call that you have meningitis. Um, So I googled meningitis and what it was, and from what I found online, it's a viral infection that attacks the meninges of the brain. Yes. So can you tell us a little about what uh, that experience is for you?
1: Yeah, so um, when I was 14, I was diagnosed with meningitis. Um, It was very hard to live through because... I had a really bad headache when the onset of symptoms happened and also like my memory is very hazy because I was like literally in and out of consciousness. So you like it's, it's like your your brain is in a haze and you just can't get out and you're really confused It's like you're in a fog and your consciousness is like trapped in your body. So that's what that felt like, um, and I'm still recovering emotionally and psychologically to this day um, because of all of the chronic pain that happened after um, the viral infection uh, resolved or went away, As and, and I still have to take meds to keep the headaches away. So that's what it felt like, um, and... I don't, I, I've been to a lot of doctors to figure out like what happened or like why I had such a long battle with chronic pain and, um, like brain dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really know what was happening. Honestly, that's what I got from it. They were like, "Mm, are you sure? And a lot of it had to do with personally, it had to do with, I think it had to do with racism, mm. because when I was fourteen, with the onset of symptoms, I went to my primary care physician, and she was a white woman, and she asked if I was doing drugs, even though I was not, and that was her first reaction. When I don't think she would do that if I was white, because mm. I, like, she knew me since I was a baby, and it was very jarring emotionally and you know physically because I was very surprised to hear that she thought when she didn't know what was happening that it was my fault so uh that was upsetting to go to a doctor for help when I felt like something was extremely wrong which it was and they assumed that I did something to deserve this or and that, that sentiment did stay with me for years after that encounter because I felt like I did do something to deserve it, or I didn't wash my hands enough, or I didn't I used the wrong lip gloss and that had meningitis on it. When in reality, the I was told by another doctor that I saw that it was just you just catch it wherever you are, or if you catch it at school. So that also developed into me feeling a lot of resentment and feelings of, about school resentment, resentment about school, uh, the high school I went to and the middle school, because that was the time when I did catch meningitis and it was just a very difficult time.
0: Yeah. So I didn't know you can catch it. Mm -hmm. So you can catch it. It's like a, like a topical thing. Like you touch a doorknob or like, you know, you, um, like grab something that's like full of the meningitis. Um, virus is it like a or was like um transferred through like mouth to mouth or like saliva like how's it transferred?
1: No one ever told me, so mm. they never told me how I got it, so honestly, I have no idea how I got it. I could have been at the grocery store i could it could have been anywhere that's what they told me that. They said it was most likely at school because that's where I had most contact with other people right. that could have had it or could have met someone that had it or something like that through the web of interconnectedness. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I didn't know it was... I, I didn't know why I assumed something that, like, was hereditary or yeah. genetics. I didn't know, like, it was a... Well, it it's a virus. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know you can catch it from, like, other people. Yeah. I had no clue because... I think the first person I met who's ever had meningitis before. So when you caught it, how long was the viral infection, like duration of it?
1: Yeah, the viral infection, it lasted about like over a week, like a little over a week. So maybe like 10 days. Uh-huh. And I was in the hospital overnight because it took about seven of those days. Like from me feeling the first symptoms to me actually being able to go to the hospital it took that took 7 days mm-hmm. so had it been a more serious version of the virus or had it been bacteria I wouldn't be here today because that was how slow the medical response was mm. so yeah that that is how um that's how long it took for me to go to the hospital and then I was in there overnight and then they said Basically, we can't do anything for you because it's a virus, so go home right and I went home and I recovered um, for over a month and I that for the next few weeks and that t- I was off of sc- out of school for a month at that time. So when I went back to school, um, I still was had brain fog. I still had symptoms of it, but I was told I was no longer contagious. so mm-hmm. that was good. Um, so I went back to school and then the summer happened. Um, and then when I went back to school again from my freshman year of high school, and I was around all these other people, I had a lot of anxiety about something that could happen again, or I could get meningitis again. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of anxiety about that. And I noticed that in my classes, I had a headache every day, and it did not end. And basically, since the beginning of freshman year to the end of freshman year, I had a headache every single day, and that was nine months. Oh, my god! Yes. And... I tried taking Tylenol or Excedrin to relieve the pain. and That, only, that didn't really help. It only made the headaches worse mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. So I had rebound headaches, and those were really, really bad. Like someone is stabbing your brain with a knife. So that experience was like emotional torture as a child and having to cope through trying to do schoolwork was incredible it was impossible I was just in survival mode I was at home in the dark because light made my headaches worse Um, and that's why the last six months of those nine months of having um, a chronic headache I was blind because I couldn't like my brain would not process what I was seeing um, because of the pain because it was too busy being in pain so it was like "Mm, you're not gonna see
0: yeah Oh my goodness, Maria, sorry. I'm like, I don't know what to say because I'm thinking of you being 14, yeah. your first year of high school, experiencing all of this for the whole year of high school. Yeah. Like, because already high school is like a new, it's a new journey when you're going from middle school mm-hmm. to like a new school, whatever. I don't know, did you go to, a, did you go to like middle high school or did you, you switch from like middle school to a different high school?
1: I went to the high school that was in the school district. Okay. So it was the same school district. But it was still high school, and it was very overcrowded.
0: Yeah. So, and I'm, 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 did you go to white school too? I did. So that would have been hard as well.
1: Yes. And um, then, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it was hard for many reasons, of course, the chronic illness, but right. also because it was mostly white, but then it became more people of color, so it was like different people of color, like Indian people, mm-hmm. Nepali people. Mm-hmm. Somalian people, African people, black people. And then the other half was white. Mm. Um... So it was an interesting experience, but I would not want to live through it again.
0: Oh, of course not. Of course not. Yeah. Because I, I remember when I was in, um, I think I was in third grade, and I had like really bad migraines, from migraines for like a week. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, but they just happened. But I remember like leaving the classroom, going to see the nurse, and like crying because they were that bad. And you're right. Like, yes. light made my headaches that much worse. Yes. And so I can't imagine for a whole nine months experiencing mm-hmm. that and then not really having medicine to help you. And yeah. if you did take medication, it made the headaches worse. Yes. So, okay. So, during this time, were you creating any art or no?
1: I was not. I was just in survival mode. Um, After I went to the Cleveland Clinic, that helped me be able to retrain my brain to see again and not interpret light as pain, and a lot of different therapies to help retrain my brain to function again. Um, I turned to art as a way to cope with everything I've been through, because during this whole time, um, a close friend of mine passed away, and so did my grandma, Mm -hmm. so... Adding, that made an already um, extremely overwhelming situation even more overwhelming because I was dealing with feelings of grief. So I put all of that into my paintings when I could see again, and that's how my whole painting journey started. That's amazing.
0: It's like, because painting, I think, is a really beautiful like work of just um it's a really beautiful thing to do mm-hmm. I think it's very expressive very creative and it gives you a chance to just be in the flow and not get too distracted by what's going on around you and I feel like honestly you went through a really painful time but came out of that was all this pretty artwork yes and isn't that kind of like crazy how that contradicts itself and in like you know in many ways um I think for me being an artist I was painting since I was like four years old so I always mm-hmm. loved art so it yes. didn't really come out of like a pain or like a desire to like get away from something. I just always was innate in me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like with your experience, paintings really like the thing that like helped grounded you in that experience you went to went, yes. went through with meningitis. Um, so my other question for you is um, how does meningitis play a role or show up in your creativity?
1: Yeah, so in my earlier paintings that were acrylic, I would paint what I saw when I wasn't seeing, if that makes any sense. Mm. Like, when you close your eyes, don't you sometimes see, like, when you close your eyes and you see, like, little stars or little flicks Mm -hmm. of light behind your eyes. I only saw that for six months when I was blind. So, that's what I painted.
0: Uh,
1: So, I would paint the migraines or how they felt. Because when I had migraines, I would close my eyes and I would see those weird visual auras of light or how sound interacted with light in my head and how my brain interpreted all of that. So that's what I painted in my early works. Um, I have a painting called Vestibular, which is literally one of the whole migraine I was telling you about, the nine-month-long migraine. Um, I have a whole painting that is that migraine. So you painted your
0: migraine? I did. I would have never thought of that. Like I always paint things that are like realistic, mm-hmm. so I paint like usually like people, places, or landscapes. Mm-hmm. But I had not really painted pain before. Yeah. And so to think of myself doing that now, from your experience, I think I would probably paint more so emotional pain and physical pain. Yeah. But I feel like what you went through is both emotional and physical. Yeah. So I mean, it kind of all inter- intertwines um, together. So. Um, I guess my other question for you is, um, how did it feel race wise? I mean, you mentioned before earlier seeing a doctor who didn't believe you that you, you know, were actually sick, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of like put you in this box of like, oh, are you on drugs or mm-hmm. whatever else? Um, so, was that just that one time experience? Did you experience other issues like that or similar to that?
1: Thinking back on it. It wasn't just a one-time thing, Sally. because when I went to, I was at the children's hospital because I was a kid, Mm -hmm. and they didn't, like, at first they didn't take me seriously. Then they sent us back home, and then my mom was like, no, something's very wrong. And she took me back, and I was in a waiting room for a very long time. I remember that because it was very uncomfortable. And then I remember, my memory just changes to me being in like uh, a way, uh, I don't know if they call those rooms where they put you in when they're like, okay, maybe you have something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. They have one of those rooms and I was being tested by one of the doctors that ha- was it like a neuro a, a neurology panel or like something to see how my neurology was doing. And of course I failed because something was very wrong neurologically. And then they were like, oh, so it's because the doctor that put in the chart, they have a chart that shares information with each doctor's from my primary care physician mm-hmm. to children's. Mm-hmm. And she put in the chart, maybe she did drugs, we don't know. Mm. So that was what informed their opinion of me because they thought I was like seeking or something or drug seeking or looking for something bad, you know? So, that was in the chart, and that's what my mom told me afterwards because I was busy, um, you know, being out of, in and out of consciousness, but yeah, I, I was very, when I, how I feel about it now that I'm looking back, it's very upsetting, and I know that it was a really wrong thing to go through, um, and even after I had viral meningitis, there were still doctors that questioned if I did or if, I, if it was all in my head or all made up. And I think that had to do with sexism mm-hmm. because they were all male doctors mm-hmm. saying, oh, are you sure it's all in your head? Right. Like, right. I don't even know what that would mean. Why would I lie about this? <laughs> Who wants to be in this much pain? Right. Yeah. And even at school, there were people that thought I was just making it all up. And then, of course, they were the other white kids. Yeah. so.
0: Yeah. I just think um, I interviewed. I interviewed a guy a mm-hmm. few weeks ago. He had autism. He's mm-hmm. also a guitarist, and he talked about how he diagnosed at fourth autism, mm-hmm. and a lot of the times, a lot of kids his age who were also black um, and male, they would kind of show the same um, behavioral issues that he had in terms of you know not making eye contact with people. And then not being able to function in certain like really high stimulating areas and like they would act out. But in reality, it was just them not being able to process, mm-hmm. you know, because all the things going on around them yeah, because they had autism. But the teachers would always assume they were the bad kids, and mm-hmm. wouldn't get them diagnosed for autism or ADHD or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. So I think it's this commonality of like people of color or black people, both male and female, who it's like, we experience certain things like pain or certain behavioral patterns. It's like, we're not taken seriously. And I remember when I was younger, to well, the dentist to get my, I think I get a, a filling for my mm-hmm. cavity. And the dent- dentist I had at the time, she was this white lady. And she didn't want to give me um i think it was like novocaine or mm-hmm. the numbing cream to yeah. help with the pain and yeah. i remember like that drill in my tooth and it was so painful yeah and like i asked her like can i get numbing cream and she was like well it's almost done but i'm like i was 12 years old and so much pain and she refused to give me the numbing cream for whatever reason and i remember that because now when i look at my cavity's done i have that same like feeling in my head that like oh what did they forget the numbing cream you know yeah so it, like it does follow you as you get older that same kind of like traumatic um experience with doctors or whatever um but yeah your story is literally amazing me right now I've interviewed a lot of people I feel like your story is the most just like dynamic and interesting because you were so young when it happened to you um so I know we discussed through zoom when I first pre-interviewed you earlier um last month so you also experienced um balance issue Mm -hmm. optic nerve issue and then Um, It's called phonobio?
1: Phonophobia. So what is that? So phonophobia is when sounds are interpreted as pain in your brain because of the migraines. My brain was very hypersensitive at that time, so light would cause pain and so would sound. Um, the other things that had to do with the optic nerve were because of when I had meningitis, it swells your brain up and your eyes are connected to your brain. So that caused my optic nerve to move because of the swelling. And somehow that also caused like the balance centers of my brain to go like, mm, I'm not going to work anymore. So that happened. And because of that, that's why I had those issues. So because the optic nerve moved, it made the light even more painful.
0: Right. And you also had seizures as well. And you had to relearn, relearn the English language too. Yes. So tell us about that. So um, I remember you talking about your meningitis and how that caused a lot of brain issues. Yes. So it changed how you interpreted language as well. You couldn't understand English or you just couldn't speak it?
1: I couldn't speak it because my brain was in too much pain. Okay. Yeah, like, I'm sure other people that have had similar, or not even similar, just any painful experience, like, when you're in so much pain, you can't even talk. That's what it was like for me. So that's why I had to take some medicine when they finally gave it to me to, like calm my brain down so I would be able to think because I had issues with thinking because I was in so much pain and I couldn't form thoughts or think things through and I still kind of struggle with thinking things through to this day maybe it's because I'm not fully grown yet but it's also (laughs) because that happened to me so yeah that's that's why um it's hard for me to Sometimes remember where I came from, or like remember where my thoughts come from, so that mm-hmm. is why I had to relearn a lot of English mm-hmm. and Braille too,' there was a time where I was learning braille mm-hmm. um and I learned Braille because pretty fast because I had nothing else to do really um and it was just a different sensation to read with your fingers and that helped me be more sensitive to texture um, in my paintings. So that also helped me with my paintings.
0: That is that is so awesome how like you, you literally like, it's like you took something that, something that was so negative and you made it something that's like positive in a way because you learned braille and that helped you with texturizing and painting your paintings too, which I've been seeing here and they're amazing guys. Um, So can you tell us about, do you finger paint I'm assuming? I use brushes, but I do use my fingers occasionally. Like, I do
1: both, really. It just depends on what I'm trying to achieve visually.
0: Okay. So, if you were to paint a painting right now, you use brushes in your fingers. Mm -hmm. So, how would you use your fingers to create texture? Would you just, like, create certain blending patterns? Or is it for, like, creating skies or waters? What do you usually do with your fingers?
1: Yeah. So, I use my fingers to, like, keep things smooth
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and... Uh, if I want something to have more texture, I would use a brush, and then I would use my fingers to, like, mold the paint in the way that I want it to be.
0: Okay. That, that's great. That's really great. So, I know that it was only a month of recovery for you, in terms of you having meningitis at that period of time, mm-hmm. but there's an aftermath that happened to you as well. Yes. That is, seems pretty long. Um, so, I know that you were in therapy mm-hmm. for a lot of different things. Um so how was that experience? Were you in therapy for anxiety or for meningitis? Like what was it like being in therapy while you were in there?
1: Yeah, so the Cleveland Clinic had a lot of different therapies. There were therapies for like um, your brain to like, for my brain at least, to relearn how to not be in pain and interpret everything as pain and like just not function. Um, I also had physical therapy because I got weak because I wasn't moving. Um, I also had like um emotional therapy to help deal with the trauma because apparently if you just try to they tell me this that the doctors showed me this that when you try to just ignore all your emotions or bottle it up and like just be in survival mode it comes back as physical symptoms in your body yeah, and they yeah. told me like your body keeps the score so that I was doing that I had to real I had to come confront my emotions uh, head on because it was just making the pain worse. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a real thing. I remember, like, a few years ago, like, during COVID, when I really got social anxiety. And, like, it's, like, I think it's called your inner child. Yes. So when you were 14, I was an inner child that went through all that trauma. And their inner child, it's, like, if you don't heal it or, like, talk to it or, like, try to kind of translate what happened to you, it will come back and it will literally haunt you. It
1: will. It will. Yeah,
0: because with mine, it's, like, I remember this happened to me this year, actually, where... um I remember walking my dog one day and I don't know, I started, I started crying and I was like, why am I crying? I think it's my inner child felt like yeah. it was ignored for so long. And I finally like had discussion with, with her and we talked about like, you know, my trauma from my past when I was younger. And it felt good to just like let all that out and just, you know, be expressive about what happens. So, you know, I, ignored, I ignored it for so long. And I remember the pain that I experienced with my inner child was usually in my arm. Like mm-hmm. I'll be sleeping at night. And I'd wake up. And my arm would be like literally aching. And wow. I'm like, what is this? And I knew it was like emotional trauma that I like put in bags for so long. And then it finally was like yelling at me to like let me out and it was showing up on my arm. So mm-hmm. I understand completely. Yeah. Um so one of my last questions for you are do you disclose what happened to you to your friends, the people at work or at school or whatever?
1: I do. I like talking about it because each time I tell my story it helps me feel like I'm a little bit farther away from it mm-hmm. and um it helps me most it's mostly selfish because it just helps me like feel like I'm just being honest with people and just like telling them where I came from and how strong I am and I just like to I do tell people um even the emotional ramifications of what I went through Um, Like having depression and anxiety because of everything I went through Mm -hmm. Um, and always feeling like I have to be on guard or in survival mode. Um, I relate to my other classmates in those ways and it helps their art and my art be better because we're like using our emotions and communicating and putting that in our art. That's
0: great. And it's, it's crazy because, like, I mean, you're, how old are you? 18, 19? 19. 19. I'm 24. Yes. But, I mean, even though we're like not too far away from age, I feel like when I was in college, we were touching a lot on emotional um and like you know spiritual health and, stuff yeah. and wellness and well-being but it wasn't really tied to our art the way that it should have been like mm. i remember i was in classes that are about like art history mm-hmm. and a few classes about like um i don't know what else like you know color theory and all that stuff but it was never to the point where we discussed like how we can use our emotional health to help us paint yeah. you know and i feel like painting one of those things where you need emotion to create something that's you know beautiful or unique to you um and so, one of my my last question now for you is: How can society do a better job of creating environments that are easier for people with disabilities or chronic illnesses to adapt to? That's a very good question. I know right? everyone always talks about that, and I'm just yeah. like, I guess so it is. Yeah.
1: So I'm just thinking how to answer it now. Um, they can do a better job by, of course, having more accessibility being thought of by. Um, Like, at least in schools, I'm thinking of this in terms of like school because that's where I am right now. Um, I do have accommodations um, for my classes so I can have a little bit more time to work on things. Um, I also have accommodations for tests when I have to take them, so I have a quiet area so I can really focus on the test and do my best. So that's a way that can be improved, even in other places of higher education for people to be able to do their best and within their body constraints, you know, like not pushing themselves too hard or getting a rebound headache from thinking too much about a test because that would also happen to me. Like at school, if I push myself too hard or I got too tired, I would get another headache from that or it would just get worse and it just... It was really relentless, the chronic pain. So, just being more understanding of people that have chronic pain, or like even asking a question, so you don't assume the wrong thing. That goes a long way and helps people feel really heard and seen. Because a part of being a part of being a person of color and having a chronic pain issue or being disabled is makes you feel very invisible. Yeah, it makes you feel really unseen. And just like you don't exist. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like that um, a lot when I was just in my room listening to nothing, just the sound of my heartbeat and in darkness. And that's what it felt like. So it, it was really difficult to go through that. And I'm still recovering emotionally from... Like, sometimes I would have nightmares about just being back in that place. Mm. Um, And that, like, yeah, it was... I would have nightmares about being sick again. Mm. And that is some of what I'm really scared of again Mm. is just having to go back in Mm. time to that experience Mm. or something else happening or Mm. something else on the road happening. Mm -hmm. And then it just devolves into... Like, always having to be prepared for mm-hmm. everything to happen because you blame yourself when it happens and you weren't ready.
0: Yeah. Wow, that was a great answer. Um, so much to unpack there. I think my first thing is, you're right. I feel like when it comes to schools, especially college, um, as you'll learn as you go you further into your, your years at school, but um, a lot of professors lack that empathy or sympathy to you know, make things more flexible in their classrooms, you know? Like, when I was in school, I went to OSU, and it wasn't that bad, but I was in art, but I knew people who were in business or school, mm-hmm. um, you know, the sciences or whatever, like, they always were so stressed out because professors lack that awareness or sympathy to make their classrooms more accessible and not so, like, narrow and straight and cut, you know? Uh, that was a really good answer, and... Um, you know, I think the talk about um, being scared of your past, coming back to haunt you literally, I think is so true. And, you know, you can't really do anything besides just pray that like you'll, you know, you won't experience that again because you never know what life brings to you. I feel like pain is one of the things that we just can't avoid no matter what. I mean, you can do things like wash your hands and stuff, but pain's always going to happen. And I think my biggest pain that I'm scared um, for me to like, i guess go through again is just like coming from my childhood too um you know i'm just even though i'm an adult now i feel like your childhood's always around and all you can do is kind of accept that and talk to your inner child and make it make it not feel like it's being ignored and think mm-hmm. it's a really good thing but i want a one last question for you <laughs> do you meditate or anything like that or do yoga to help with your um emotional
1: health i did Mm-hmm. And I completely fell off on it. Really? When school happened. Yeah. So I do, like, I did yoga a lot more um, in January when, before school started up again, like early January. Mm-hmm. Um, I also meditate before I go to sleep each night. So I didn't, I haven't fully, like, stopped meditating. I just, like, do uh Breathing exercise before I go to bed and I fall asleep, and it works every time.
0: Yeah, it does. I love it. I love doing like breath work, I love doing yoga and meditation. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's so helpful when it comes to just have more relaxed of mind, and like helping you sleep is like a big thing, too. Um, that's all I have for your question, right? You want to say anything else before we uh turn off? Um, I just want to say
1: that any other artists or anyone that's listening, um, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you for hearing my story. and. I hope that somehow this touched you or um, helps you understand something from a different point of view.
0: Yeah, I would say that I learned a lot about meningitis and what it is. And also to be grateful for every day that I have. And, you know, just be like, and then just understand that like, people are always going through something. Mm-hmm. And to not always complain about little things like, you know, not getting enough money or getting enough whatever. Because mm-hmm. people are always going through a lot of stuff. And I feel like your story is so... It's so strong. Like, you went through a lot at a young age. And you come come at the other end, you know, even stronger now. And you're, like, just, I don't know. I just feel like this is just great um and I continue painting her art literally is so good she'll be in our show on April 1st at Masson Museum in Masson Ohio um and her brother also paints too so you'll probably see his work come to our show um but anyway Mari thank you so much I'm glad I had a conversation with you that this was an
1: amazing experience so <laughs> thank, thank you. you thank you thank you